Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So we're in week three now of our series, uh, Ghost Stories. It's, a, it's been a lot of fun. So let's do a quick recap for those that haven't been here or those that were sleeping during the first two weeks. It's fine. Listen, I don't take, I don't take any offense. So it's really, it's good. So in week one, we talked about who is the Holy Spirit? How does he fit into this thing called the Trinity? How do we have the Trinity if the Bible doesn't say the word Trinity and all this kind of stuff? We walked through that. So we first had to discover who he is and what does it mean? So the word Ruach is the word for spirit in the Old Testament and the word Numa is the word for spirit in the New Testament. And they both have very similar meanings in that they basically boil down to this life-animating, life-giving creator is what we find uh, as to who the Holy Spirit is. And we said that's good news for us in that when we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit and that, that that presence is the life-giving creator, right? It is new life that comes in us. We are a new creation. So the old things have gone, the new has come, right? Because we are made new through the Holy Spirit. And we also talked about how, how in, the, in the New Testament, we see a couple of different times when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are either present together or mentioned together. And that's kind of where we get our framework and our ideology for this triune God. And so Jesus has baptized them in the name singular, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So three persons, one name, we see that. And then we also see when Jesus was baptized, that he came up, the Spirit then descends on him like a dove, and the voice of the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so that is a depiction in that moment of Father, Son, and Spirit all in one moment. So that's how we get this idea. So we then talked about how the Holy Spirit is a person to know, right? And someone to be connected with. And so we we made the statement that if we fully understand and grasp all that God is, then he ceases to be God because now he becomes measurable, and we can then place an end on who God is. And so when God becomes measurable, he ceases to be God. And so we made the statement that the idea is not, and that the goal is to not know all things about God, but to know him and to be fully known by him. And so then last week we talked about proper worship and we talked about the gifts of the spirit. And we said, you know what, we're just going straight for like the controversial topics in the church, right? If there's anything that can divide a church faster than anything, it's the topic of the Holy Spirit. And so here, here we are just facing it head on and it's been a lot of fun. And so last week we talked about uh, proper worship and what does the service look like? And I've been in services where things were just running crazy and you go, okay, well, all of a sudden God has left the room and he goes, I don't want to be a part of that either, right? And people's like, I'm out, right? And then we talked about how when we operate biblically within the framework of how, how Paul has laid it out for us, and we, we went through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and we talked about how, you know what, the message in tongues and interpretation is in fact biblical when done correctly. And we also said that Paul's, his, his preference would be the gift of prophecy and allowing prophecy to work. He said, because I would rather you speak five, you know, understandable words than to speak a thousand words in a tongue where nobody is then edified or built up. 
up. And the purpose of the spirit is to edify the church. And then we talked about how 1 Corinthians 13 is woven in seamlessly into this. And it's not an abrupt subject change where then Paul says, now let me give you something to preach at weddings, right? And he talks about love. No, he's talking about within the use of the gifts of the spirit. He's saying, if, if you are not operating out of love first and foremost, and it is this selfish, look at me, look at me, look at me, then you are misusing and abusing then the gifts of the spirit. And it has to first stem from and be pulled from a love for lost people. Because why did we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in the first place? So that we would be witnesses. So today we're going to continue our conversation on the Holy Spirit. And I want to answer a couple of questions as we get started. Uh, that have come in. Uh, and one was a question that came in directly to me. Uh, and the other one is a question that came in, I believe, over social media. And if it came in through a written one, I apologize. Uh, but the question was, uh, the first one is this, uh, can a child or a person operate in the gifts of the spirit prior to salvation? Short answer is no. The, 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 the more theological, uh, um, you know, explained answer is this, is that the indwelling of the spirit comes in the process of salvation, right? And so there is no spirit infilling or baptism then in the spirit until there is salvation. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for imparting. And it just, that was a moment of agreement. I feel like the Lord was just in that. And so we just roll with it. Yeah. And so, so what we see, the short answer is no, but uh, it, it is available to children and people who have received Christ. I'll say this, that my 10-year-old this summer at camp received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? He is a child. And so th- th- to, to say then that you, you know, a child can't operate in the gifts would be false, uh, but it is a post-salvation experience, right? And so the use of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit come to those post-salvation, right, in the New Testament model. Now, can God use whoever he wants in a moment? Absolutely, he used a donkey, right? But we see things operating differently now in the New Testament, in the New Testament model. We are now a New Testament church. So is that clear? Is that understandable? We, 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 okay. Uh, if you have more questions, feel free to text me or message me on Instagram or the church directly. The other question was, last week I challenged you. I said, go home and read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I was fully anticipating some questions and I received an awesome one that almost in a sense doesn't seem as if it pertains to the Holy Spirit. And it's a question that I answered directly to the person uh, because it was a very, well-written question in, a, in a, tough, uh, a tough part of scripture to try to dissect and walk through. But I feel like it's a statement that needs to be made directly from the platform as it is. And it has to do with the part in, in 1 Corinthians where, where Paul says that the women should remain silent. You want to talk about a quick, easy way to like stir up a riot, right? So here's, here is what we have to understand we have to look at the context in which the statement was made. First of all, Paul is writing directly to the Corinthians and the churches in Corinth in that area. And he says, the women in the churches need to remain silent. Here's here's what's going on. First of all, these women were abusing the gifts of the spirit, plain and simple. And and so you could look at it historically where they had been cooped up in in the culture saying, you have to be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Now they're experiencing freedom in Christ. And now they're jumping into this. And it's like this over, like, it's like almost like word vomit, right? Uh, And there's like not stopping, not something. It's kind of out of control. And and so Paul basically at this point is also a little fed up with the women in these churches. I feel like he's probably had to deal with them before. We don't know that. This is speculation on this part. But here's what we see. As you continue to read the scripture and within that context, 
context, he says, or, and this is right after that statement, he said, or did God only give you the word? Or did God only give you revelation? So in this moment, Paul is frustrated with these ladies. They're speaking as if they are the authority, as if they are the word of God, as if they are God's only use and mouthpiece, right? That they're the only ones able to speak. And so Paul in this moment is saying, you know what? I'm tired of these women. They need to be quiet. So this is what we're seeing. So this is not a broad stroke statement to say that women should never be able to speak in church and that women need to submit and only turn to their husbands. If they have questions, they can go ask at home. And then that's not what's happening. This is an isolated event where we're seeing Paul speak directly to the women in Corinth because they had gotten out of control. I'll say this. I have been in churches where the women do in fact need to be quiet because they're stirring up trouble, they're causing issues, right? And and the pastor needs to say something to those women and say, y'all need to quit talking, shut your mouth. Then I'll say this, I have been in churches where the men are an even bigger issue, okay? And I've been in those churches where not only did the pastor tell them to be quiet, they were removed from that body altogether, okay? So understanding how things operate, and both of those, hear me, are scriptural, So understand that. This isn't Paul making an anti-woman statement. This is a cultural new phenomenon. These women have freedom in Christ, and now they're exercising that into the point of abusing. Fair? So hear me when I say, I do not believe that women should remain silent in the church. If I believe that, you would not have heard my wife preach yet. Fair? Right? And you will hear more and more of Lauren preaching, right? It's going to continue to happen. And at that, I say... Come and I will step down and let you continue this morning. So, so is, that, is that clear? I, I was anticipating that to come up in the questions. Um, and I'm sure a few of you have read that before and gone, wait a minute. Are we outside of scripture when we let women on our platform speak? No, no. Okay. So um, if you read through 1 Timothy chapter 2 and you have that same question, we can talk about it again then. So. So let's talk then today and continue our conversation about the Holy Spirit. So I mentioned briefly uh, at the end of worship that the Holy Spirit operates in in primarily um, two purposes within the believer, right? You have the inward and then you have the outward uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about those for just a moment as we kind of lay our foundation for where we're going today. And so I I spoke earlier, like I said, you'd hear this twice, but the inward ministry of the Holy Spirit is through the process of salvation, How many of you know that that's a good thing, right? And so in that, we have the maturing process of the believer. So this isn't, this isn't like a a levels kind of thing, like where you're progressing and you're level up, you know, that kind of, that's not what this is. This is a maturing process of the believer, right? If you, if you have children or have ever been a child, you know that there is a maturing process in life, right? And you know that when somebody doesn't mature appropriately or at the right pace, they fall behind in other areas and other things. So, so this is the Holy Spirit then coming alongside of us in, in helping us and equipping us to mature us and to move us into purity. And the word that Paul uses to, to really make this sound very, uh, very church worthy is sanctification. So Paul uses that term to talk about the development of the believer and the continual growing of the believer. And so the the purifying and and, and removing and all that kind of stuff. And so then you also have the outward ministry of uh, the Holy Spirit. And and that would be the anointing, the gifts and the power. And so we see that uh, in the maturity process, typically we, we wrap that up into the idea and the concept of reading your Bible, praying, 
going to church, right? Just kind of the, the, the standard Christian disciplines, not even the hard ones like fasting, but we just go, yeah, you can fast if you want to. Um, we'll get to that at another time. It's another deal. That's a fun topic to talk about. Um, he says, but, but we pretty much go and we lean on reading and praying, right? And those are like, okay, this is how you are then going to grow. Now, if you come from a more Wesleyan charismatic background, you would then lean into the idea of, of experience and moments as being kind of the, 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 the product of sanctification, right? Where you go through a difficult time and it pu- pushes you into an intense moment of prayer in pursuit of the Lord. And you're going, okay, God, I really, really need you right now, or this isn't going to end well. I really, really need you right now, or I'm going to be out on the streets. I need you now, right? And this is that kind of that pushing moment. And I would say that, that it's probably a combination of both, right? When we have those moments where we say, okay, God, I'm going to pursue you. And in, in, a, a, like in this moment, I've pushed everything else aside. I'm running. I'm falling on my face before the Lord and saying, oh God, I need you, right? Along with in the morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to get into my, my, my prayer and reading time that I, I have set aside for every day, right? And so it, it's this combination of both. And it's that process that helps to mature uh, the believers. Uh, and, and maybe, and I'll say this, maybe you're in a moment right now where you say, man, I really need a breakthrough in my life. I really need something new. And let me challenge you. Go home, shut yourself in your room and seek the face of the Lord. Um, God can work in those moments. I promise you this. I, I mean, that is, God will show up if you, if you see him. Is that a scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? No, 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 no. That is sometimes we just have to remove ourselves from the equation and say, oh God, I, I fully need you. Um, I desperately need you. Uh, let, me, let me throw this out there real fast. We will get to a whole lot of scripture today, um, but we're gonna set this all up first. So just, just walk with me for a moment as we get to um, the scriptures that we're going to today. So then, and then we have the outward ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, in the Bible, a lot of times we see it talked about as the spirit coming on them and the spirit came on them. Um, and, and that would be that, that, that metaphor, the anointing, I mean, what is that, right? What is the anointing? It's like the empowering of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that the empowering is a good thing? If we go, hey, if I can be empowered, it's better than being like non-powered, right? So um, it's the difference between using a drill and a screwdriver, right? It's just, I would rather use a drill for most things, even when Ikea tells me not to. He ends up with shreds of particle board everywhere, but man, it's holding better for about an hour. And then it just falls. And you go, should have read the instructions. So see, empowering, that's kind of that outward ministry. And we talked about the giftings last week a little bit. And so that would kind of be that outward ministry. And, and what we want to talk about today, um, our topic probably most fits into the category of the outward ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it kind of bleeds into both, but, but it most fits into the outward ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, today, I want to talk about a topic that in a, in a lot of churches, this is a great way to either divide a crowd or cause a riot in an uproar. So this is a lot of fun. And it's, I enjoy these topics from time to time. Um, I don't want to live in these topics at all times as a human being, I'll tell you that right now. But, but today I want to talk about a phrase that we find often in scripture, and that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
And so when you say that, that stirs up a lot of ideas and thoughts. It stirs up a lot of preconceived notions or ideas, or it brings you back to, to your upbringing where you go, okay, now you're speaking heresy, or, or it brings up the thoughts of, of you go, okay, well, there's, this guy's about to get weird and, and whatnot, right? So there is some, some turmoil and some conflict when you bring up the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But let's talk about that today because it's scripture. And so I think it's, it's prudent for us to then first say that up front, it's the Bible. So let's teach the Bible. And then beyond that, uh, if you struggle with it, we can continue the conversation. Uh, if you're going to get mad at me, get, get, just know that you're upset with the word of God. I don't know what else to say. Like, I don't know how to sugarcoat that to make it any better other than to say I'm protected by the word of God. And, um, and so all of them, I'm just kidding. No, but this is, so we want to talk about what is often considered a difficult conversation. We first need to understand why we need the power of the Holy Spirit before we get into the topic fully. What is the purpose and the point of the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and I think we have to, it goes obviously back to, and we talked about it last week, it's just that we will be, we receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and we will be witnesses so the idea is, is to seek the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, not the gifts and, and the signs and the wonders, but we seek the Holy Spirit. We seek him and what he has for us. And then that will manifest itself however he deems necessary, right, within the body. But we first have to realize that the power of the Holy Spirit is so that we're empowered to be witnesses. This is a tool and a gifting for us to reach the lost. And if we miss that, then we misunderstand the idea and the identity of the Holy Spirit altogether. If we neglect that side of the doctrine and the theology of the Holy Spirit, then we have placed emphasis on the byproduct and not on the, the, the power of the Spirit itself. And we can't be guilty of that. So we have to understand that first and foremost. Let me say this, did you know that no matter where you work, no matter what you do, no matter where you live, no, ma no matter what your world looks like, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you once were lost, now you're found, right? Saved a wretch like me, you know what I'm saying? Like if you are a Christian, you are called to the ministry. And when we begin to think in those terms, it changes our understanding and it changes our, our need for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I mean by that. You may go, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You have children that you are responsible for, for raising in the house of the Lord and directing in that same with the father who's there, right? That, that is a part of the ministry. If you say, I may, you may be like, well, I'm, I'm an accountant. I do this. I work for this account and this and that and whatnot. Guess what? You are surrounded by people who need to know Jesus, right? You may be a doctor and you say, well, I have all these other doctors that I work with. You are surrounded by doctors who need Jesus. It doesn't matter what walk of life you live in. It doesn't matter what you do. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you are called into the ministry. So, so here's what I'm saying is that you don't have to receive a paycheck from the church to be a minister, you don't even need a credential that you got on Google to be a minister. So you can turn to your neighbor and say, good morning, Reverend, right? It's just, that's just uh, you are called into the ministry. Congratulations. Uh, I, I deemed you now. I'm just kidding. We're not Catholic. That's a joke. But we're called into the ministry. God has placed a calling on us. He's, Jesus himself said 
go, oh, that means move into all the world and preach the gospel, right? He says, go, go, go and make disciples. He says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So we are all called into the mission. So when we shift our understanding and our mindset to realize that, oh, I'm not just doing this job. I'm not just responsible for my, my soul in the, in the world that I live in, but Jesus has commanded that I go and tell others. All of a sudden, that will begin to shift our thought process and our understanding and our need for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because then we all of a sudden have these moments where we go, oh God, help me to reach my mom. I don't know the words to say. Guess what you just recognized and realized? You're not capable on your own. And in that moment, you then stepped into the process of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that realization and understanding that by myself, on my own, I am inadequate to do what God has called me to do. And I need the equipping and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to make it happen. And when that shift takes place, all of a sudden your desire for what the Lord has begins to change. Because you start going, oh man, I realize how great the need is in this world. I'm in desperate need of a greater power than myself to make it happen. So we all need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're truly a believer, the ministry is simply a part of your Christianity. The Holy Spirit helps us to overcome fear, inadequacies, our lapses in wisdom. How many of you know that that happens? I was in college once. He gifts us in different ways so that we are able to be used by God to be light in the dark places. For me, I look at it in, 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 as the pastor of the church, a lot of what I see as far as what we do goes through the lens of the vision of the church, right? Because I'm thinking, okay, how are we going to accomplish the vision that God has given us for this church, which Grace Hill is a, is a place to belong, to become like Christ, to be light to the world, all for the sake of change lives. I like it when y'all start to say it with me. It makes me feel like, okay, they are listening from time to time. That's good, that's good, right? So we're called to see lives changed And so we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to make that happen. So what is the supreme spiritual status moment in a person's life? Salvation. Salvation, right? We need to set that first and foremost in the understanding that that is the the supreme status moment, right? And as far as when you receive Christ, when you step into salvation, you are then saved, right? That is like the highest level of salvation you can ever obtain. I appreciate that somebody caught that. That's good because it's right. There is not other levels of salvation to obtain. There is not this idea. Here's, I love this conversation with people. Like, oh, well, he's barely saved. Well, um, either he is or he isn't. The Bible gives us two categories. You have saved and you have lost. Okay, so you either fall on one or the other, and that's that's the end of the story. There, it's like uh, so. There's not these uh, this 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 progression of you know when you when you reach this level, then all of a sudden you move into this new category. When you reach this level, you move into this category. As soon as you start tithing this much, you get VIP parking and whatnot. It's not how that works, right? There is not. It, it is simply stated: either you are saved or you're lost, right? There's that's it. So so no middle ground, no barely saved. Uh, this nominal Christianity does not exist. Can we just debunk that idea right now just so you go, uh, well, we're nominally Christian. Like, no, you can't be Christian in name only. Either you are or you aren't. Um, and, and then if you are, live it. If you're not, don't. I don't know. I, mean, I guess that's how that works. But, 
or choose Christ and then let's move forward from there, right? So we could, let's do that instead. But here's where we are. So there's no levels. You're not, you're not increasing to the next level. Like, well, I'm actually a tier three. Uh, I've been at this for a while now. Yes, you may kiss my ring, right? It's like, that's not how this works. Uh, so you're either you're saved or you're lost. So, uh, so there's no greater status than being saved. Uh, once you are born again, that's the, that is the peak level. I have to move through my notes because I said all of this and now I've got to find where I'm at. So. so if you've ever heard this, this thought expressed through people like, oh, those people who are, who are, are the, we'll use the word spirit-filled believers, which we'll debunk that terminology here in a minute also. We'll just roll with me. They think that they are better Christians than others. It, and, and then you may have this skewed perception and idea of what a spirit-filled Pentecostal, we'll use that term, which is awesome. We went through that last week. This, this belief, you know, this, this person, that, your perception may be um, some televangelist uh, with, with in, impeccably rock-solid hair that doesn't move no matter what they do, uh, that has like, like four private jets and whatnot and all this kind of stuff. And you go, okay, so all they do is raise money for their ministry, right? You, and, and then they, they go, if you do this, we're going to pray over you and you're going to be healed. And then you go, oh, I gave $8,000 and I'm still not healed, right? You, that may be your perception. And so if that is your perception, first of all, let me throw this out there. That is a horrible misuse of the Holy Spirit. It's a horrible misuse of the terminology of, of being spirit-led or spirit-filled or all that. That is just a, it, to me, it's just pure, um, it's robbery um, and it's, it's, it's horrible, right? So what we do is we don't look to the worst example. We then look to the best example, right? And so we go, okay, if that's the worst, right? If, if we're saying like, if you go, well, now I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to immediately start watching TBN, right? It's one of those deals. So you go, okay, thank God. So just be, have that freedom, glory. You, you know what? I don't have to turn on Daystar every, ever. So, and I walk in that freedom, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I exercise. If you watch Daystar, good, good, let's go. It's okay. I should just, uh, I have, Keep moving. So if you've seen somebody act that way or speak that way or try to live like that, let me tell you, um, that's not a spirit-led life. That's not a spirit-filled believer, right? That is, uh, they may know Jesus. And, they may, and I'm not trying to take away their salvation. Hear me, hear me. But they've gone down a, a, a wrong direction and they've misused the name of the Holy Spirit. So what we want to do is we want to look to the best possible example. So for me, then I look to my mentors and those around me and I go, okay, these are godly men and women who have pursued the Holy Spirit and I see their lives and I go, that is what I want to look like. I want my family to reflect that. I want my children to look like that. I want, you know what I mean? And we go, okay, this is godly. This is biblical, this is right. So we're gonna look to the best examples and not the worst examples. And we just look at those and we go, you know what? We can move that aside we can keep praying that their ministry flourishes and turns into good, right ministry, right? Um, I could say names, I'm not gonna do that, but. So, after we are saved, what does God have for us? That's the question. 
Is it just getting in the door, becoming a part of the family, and then just stopping? Or, or do we seek out what God has for us? Do we say, okay, God, I know there's more. You don't want me to stay in this moment, in this spot. It's not just this. And we've already talked about how the Holy Spirit wants to continue to purify us and move us forward. But what else then does he have for us? And do we want what he has for us? And the answer should be yes, right? When we go, God, I want all that you have for me. I want all that your word says I can have. Everything you have for me, I want what's in the word of God, right? And we go, this is what I want to seek. This is what I want to pursue. This is what I'm after. And so uh, our answer should, should be yes. You know, so when, when we talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit, we're also talking about greater intimacy with the Lord. We're talking about greater depth and relationship with the Lord. And so hopefully our answer is like, oh, yes, God, give me that. I want that. I want all that you have for me. According to the New Testament, what had to be done in order for people to be saved? Jesus had to die on the cross and raise again. So it's, it's both ends, right? So we had these moments. So we see that scripturally, those things had been done. And so salvation had been given. So Jesus had to die on the cross, had to rise again. It's both ends. And then we've talked about John 20. So what happens in John 20? Jesus appears then to the disciples. The door's locked, right? It's this crazy moment where he's like walking through walls and you're like, man, Jesus, I didn't know you could do all that before. This is super cool now, right? And, and not that he wasn't before, right? And so they have this moment of like, whoa, Jesus is here. And he appears to them. He shows them his hands. He shows him his side. And then Thomas is like, uh-uh. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> right. And we have this whole deal. But we see, we see this moment where Jesus then says to the people in, in, in John 20, he says to those that are there, he says, receive my spirit. And what does he do? He breathes on them. This is a cool moment because now it's that transition from saved in the Old Testament sense, right? To now saved in the New Testament sense, where now they have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's a cool moment. And we have that documented and recorded, like this is when Jesus said, you have it. And there's this infilling that takes place of the Holy Spirit. And so he, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. They now have received. So here, here's what's crazy is in this moment, there is nothing like no physical outburst or anything happening in that moment. This is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you this. Let me throw this out there. And this may shake some of your theology a little bit. And just hear me when I say this is, this is scripture and understand. When you are saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that understandable, right? We got that. So we receive Christ. We receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So there is that infilling. So this is that continuing, maturing work within the believer. So you receive Christ. You receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So them to say that they're not spirit-filled believers would mean to say that they're not believers at all, right? Because, well, no, they were filled at the moment of salvation. And so, so we see this infilling of the Holy Spirit. They have this impartation of new life. Now let's look at Jesus's last words on earth. So that was John 20. So we're going to go to Acts. And in Acts 1, verse 4 through 8 is where we're going to go. And it says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Right, so Jesus is saying, you've heard me talk about this, uh, and we're going to go through a whole lot of other prophecies and things of that nature about this in a minute. And he says, for John baptized with water, 
but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, time out, pause for just a moment. See, in John 20, they had already received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? And now he's saying, wait, in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we have to understand that this is a, a, a subsequent later on happening work. So then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then about a week later, so let's flip over to, to Acts 2. Acts 2, and it says this in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, so that's where we said we got the word Pentecostal from, right? And so then we've, other things have happened and people go, I don't want to be Pentecostal. And I go, well, you know. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the first thing, we talked about this a little bit, you are filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. If you are saved, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I've heard it described this way. This is really good. And and this is not my own, but I'm gonna use it and and we're gonna call it my own at this moment. Now I'm moving forward, right? We are all like filled donuts. Because why not, right? So, so before salvation, we essentially are just this really awesome pate-a-choux, you know, pastry, right? And it's, it's made, it's awesome. We watch a lot of baking shows, so I'm going to talk like I know what I'm talking about up here, but I've never made one. So, and then they put it in these like piping bags, right? And then they, and you like get this awesome pastry that just is like spread out and then they cook it and like, so the steam inside causes it to swell and open up and that's where you get the air pockets and that's where you fill them bad boys, right? And so... So before salvation, we are like this non-filled donut, right? And then salvation comes and we have that infilling of the Holy Spirit. So we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit, right in there. That's a terrible sound to make uh, with that. But you get the idea and you're not going to forget it now, right? You're going to go home and be like, what about that time that Pastor Ryan made that noise? And they're like, oh, you're right. So you're filled, right? And, and, and it's like that chocolate feeling. And we use chocolate intentionally because jelly is disgusting in a donut. So we're just, um, that's right. So glory to God. Everybody's with me? Good. So, so it's just like, so you receive that in feeling, right? So now you are a filled donut. So it's like, it's wonderful. It's, one, it's so good. You know, people are like, oh, I like what you got. You know what I mean? And, and that's where people are like, I'm going to buy them up. I'm going to eat them. And I'm going to regret it later and drown my sorrows in an hour of cardio or something. If you think that's true, that's a lie. I don't do cardio. That's a joke. <laughs> Cardio's for Anson. Um, that's, that's, I don't know. Let's get back on track. So we, we, are, we are now filled with this, this, this infilling, right? So 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells in you. He dwells in you. In you, And so we, this understanding that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, he dwells in us. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you've, if you've seen on Instagram, I've started like doing this kind of recap and answering some questions. And I talked briefly on this idea that as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we need to make sure that we are keeping our temple clean. 
uh, we make sure that, that what we are allowing in and, and that what we, what we are uh, allowing in our lives is creating space where the Holy Spirit is comfortable and that it's not creating barriers between us and him. And so that we are then cautious and aware of what we view, what we say, what we listen to, right? And and all these things. And so we go, okay, I'm going to make sure that I create a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit in my life that he is comfortable in. And I use this illustration. Um, Why is this important? So that, that we can have access then to the Spirit with ease, right? There's no barriers. There's no walls. There's nothing to navigate through and around because we go, I've kept myself pure. I've kept my heart right so the Spirit should dwell. If, so Lauren and I have been married uh, almost 12 and a half years. And I would say this in true, true statement, this is the greatest our marriage has ever been ever. And, and it's awesome. Like we have phenomenal marriage. You should be jealous. Like it's so good, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. We, we, we talk about this often just about how, how great our marriage is right now and just how good it is and how it's just getting better all the time. Like we, we, we work, we try to just, we have a strong marriage. What if I decided to stop bathing and brushing my teeth and wearing deodorant? Uh, exactly. At, at some point, I would then become repulsive. Um, come home from the gym and be like, hey, she'd be like, you're staying outside, right? Like there's, it would create, it, it, she didn't leave me, right? She didn't go, she's like, I'm gonna still love you from the other room and you can sleep on the floor because um, you're not getting in the guest bed the way you smell because that's disgusting, right? And, and so it's this idea that, that, that what, what the behaviors that I have are either gonna create an ease of access or they're gonna cause a, a, a somehow invisible barrier between us, right? And so I, mind you, uh, I feel like I'm a pretty hygienic person. I like to be pretty clean. So I'm just throwing that out there. This is an extreme example. This would never happen. Just, uh, but there's this idea that, that if I was to just all of a sudden start doing things, like my breath would be like repulsive. It would, she'd be like, oh, okay, I love you from 12 feet away, right? So there's no connection happening. There's no closeness happening in that relationship. It's the same thing as this temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to create space where there's nothing in my life that becomes repulsive to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be cautious on things because there's moments when the spirit will speak and go, you know, that's not right. And my job in that moment is to go, my bad, turn that off, move it away or, 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 or step away from the conversation or to back out. You know what I'm saying? He's going to speak. And so we have to be aware of this because he is dwelling in us. So with that, we begin to see as we have the heart right, as we have the dwelling right, and the, the Holy Spirit is, is able to, to dwell in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden now that creates this ease of access to the Father. And as we are in pursuit of all that God has for us, that's what we want is ease of access to the Father. So God, I want what you have for me. And in that, I'm gonna choose to do things that, that are going to edify and glorify you. And in turn, they're gonna build me up as well. The hope is to stir our affections for Jesus and not diminish or push them down. So then we need to discuss the need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, you may not have some like deep theological understanding, but like I said earlier, we have the moment where you go, oh God, I need your help reaching these people, right? You have now stepped into this process of the baptism in the Holy Spirit where you say, okay, Jesus, I need you because I'm not capable. And he says, oh, but but guess what? I've, I've got someone to equip you. 
the Holy Spirit's in you. Now let's step into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's our need is for the empowering. Uh, again, we talked about um, good examples, bad examples. See, see, a lot of times there's this idea that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time moment that is like this huge like, like explosion of a time and then you step away from that never to return to that moment. I, I think, uh, again, at the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this, uh, uh, there is a moment for sure, but then it's this continual process where we say, I don't want to have this flash in the pan, but I want to have this moment that then stirs something inside of me that says, I don't want to step out of this the rest of my life. Worst example would be, so if you grew up like me, you went to church camp a lot and, um, and I'm, I'm 35 years old. I've probably been to church camp about 29 times uh, in my life, right? That's just the nature of it at this point, now going as a parent or a youth pastor and whatnot. But, but what, we, what we see growing up a lot of times is these junior hires down front with a junior hires le- level of theology and understanding uh, with this highly like, hormonal junior hires that have been malnourished for a week and are sleep deprived with a really great communicator and speaker who all of a sudden lost control of the crowd. And then you have these kids that become ultra uber charismatic and almost to the point where they're like, in the name of Jesus, swinging from the chandeliers or whatnot. And you go, okay, something just happened and the youth pastors weren't equipped to handle it, right? And so it's like this crazy, wild, out of control, a lot of inappropriate junior high hugging going on. Um, it's like, it's always that one boy that wants to hug like seven girls and you have to come like, no moron, stand over here. Um, that's how I dealt with junior hires anyways. Like, stop being an idiot. Okay, thank you. Go pray and repent. I don't know. Like, I, it's like just deal with it and move on, right? So, but you have these moments and then it's like, you know, and then if that's it, and then you go back to your room and you have a pillow fight and the next day you go home, right? It, really, that's kind of like, and so it's like a really bad example. Or maybe you grew up with like uh, really crazy Sunday night services, right? Because that Sunday night, that's when they brought the snakes out. And so, um, no, they didn't. They really didn't, unless you're from Tennessee. And then I apologize for what you saw. But then, so, so you have these like crazy Sunday night experiences where, where all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm going to pass out. I heard a guy this week, this is so great. He said, you're going to pass out, fall on the floor, shake, rattle and roll, just like the old hymn says. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm using that. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's, so that's kind of this. So, and then you move on and it's done. That was your moment and you move forward. And that is not the intended process of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? We can laugh and have fun and, and poke fun at our upbringing and all this and whatnot. But we can also recognize that somehow in the midst of those moments, the spirit of God still moved. Uh, and we can't take away from what God did in those moments, right? So there's the understanding then that it's, it's, it's not just this flash in the pan and then you move on and you act as if nothing's ever been, but it, it should be something that stirs a deeper and greater affection for the work of the Lord in our lives and for the move of the spirit in our lives. And, and, and then in the pursuit of, of if depth and growing in the Lord, we, we then begin to see the gifts of the spirit in operation and moving in our lives. See, it should never, ever be about gifts. And I can't stress this enough. It can't ever be this idea of, oh Lord, give me the gift of prophecy. Give me the gift of prophecy. Give me the gift. No, it should be, fill me with your spirit. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Let me be baptized in your spirit. Let me be baptized in your spirit, in your spirit. And out of that comes the outpouring of the gifts. And we have to understand that. So it's not just this, this moment where you go, bang, I went down to the front, I spoke in tongues and I left. Because if, if, if it's tongues we're seeking or tongues we're after, we've missed the point in the purpose of the Holy Spirit all together. All together. Because it's about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll say this. If, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit is Texas, 
than, than tongues is like Amarillo, right? It's a part of it, but it's not the whole of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we have to understand, and we'll talk more about tongues in a minute because it has to be addressed. So what's the common factor in all of this though in the pursuit? It's prayer. Prayer. That is our connection to the Lord. That is how we communicate to the Father. And here's what I know. It, it doesn't have to be uh, high emotion and crazy demonstrative in, in, in our actions and who we are. You know what I mean? God is not gonna force you outside of your personality. Now he may push you out of your comfort zone in times, but he's not gonna pull you out of your personality to be like, oh, you're a really quiet, reserved person. Well, now I want you to go stand on top of the church and begin to scream at the top of your lungs. It's not gonna happen, right? God's gonna say, which please don't go climbing up on the roof. We just redid it and it looks great. But we receive through prayer. It's the understanding of, Lord, I need what you have. And I need to move quickly. I just saw what time it was. So what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Here's what it is. First of all, it is the prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just one prophecy. So you need to understand this, that here's where all the scripture comes in now because I wanted to make sure that I back everything that I've said today with the word of God. I hope that you know by now that I am heavy on the word of God. I want it to line up with scripture. If it doesn't, we won't teach it. So, so understand, here comes a whole lot of scripture, so just get ready for a bunch. The first thing is, you have to understand this, is that it, it wasn't a Jesus said, speak in tongues, and, and then move on. That's not what Jesus said. That's not how it went. He said, you'll receive power and you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what happened when they received the Holy Spirit? They all spoke in other tongues, right? We see that. But here's what we have, happens. Joel 2 is, is the, a prophecy that was used by um, by Peter after the initial moment on the day of Pentecost. He goes out and he quotes Joel 2 to say, this is what they prophesied about. You're seeing it right now at hand. So we see it in the Old Testament. Uh, so first thing you know is this, that spirit baptism is biblical. It is biblical. Um, we pursue the main things that God has for us. We pursue what's in the word of God. That, that means this, that, that we're not pursuing um, non-essentials and peripherals but we are pursuing what the word of God has for us. If these unexplainable things happen and we can go, that was only God, so be it. But I'll say this, I have no need for gold dust or a gold you know, arm to grow on or something. I, I don't have a need for that. Um, and you see that in places. Our pursuit is not of some gold dust manifestation of the Lord. Our pursuit is, and we can get into that conversation at another time, another place altogether. Our pursuit is of the Holy Spirit. So that, that's what we're seeking is what does the Holy Spirit have uh, for us? And we pursue what's in the word of God. The centrals, not the exceptionals. So here we go. The phrase baptized in or with the Holy Spirit is used six times in the New Testament. Uh, every one of the gospels quotes it and says it, and we'll use it out of Matthew three eleven. This is John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then also in Acts 1, Jesus then prophesies and he says, you know, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
This is significant, and I mentioned this earlier because this is post-John 20. And then Acts 11, uh, verse 16, uh, is one of the most significant verses in relation to baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Referencing the day of Pentecost. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then spirit baptism occurs at least five times in the book of Acts. In, in Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, um, it was the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And then in Acts 8, 14 through 17, and this is just, I'm throwing verses out there. So if you want to write these down, feel free to do so. Uh, the Samaritans were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 9, 17, Saul of Tarsus, who we now refer to as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 10, 44 through 47, the Italians uh, and other Gentiles were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 19, verses two through six, the, the Ephesian converts were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So to the next thing we need to know is that this uh, spirit baptism is important. If you were a disciple of Peter or Paul, what would happen after salvation? There's two things. Water baptism and spirit baptism. And and I'm going to throw these out again really fast, aware of the time. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8.14-16, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord of Jesus, right? So there they have salvation. And so then they're saying, now they need to be baptized in the Spirit, right? So then we keep moving. Acts 9, uh, we could keep going, but this is, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. This is significant in that you understand this. I'm going so fast and I, I know I am. I'm, this is, I can't talk much faster, but here's what you're seeing here. That's significant in that Paul was baptized in the spirit before he is baptized in water. It's pretty substantial to see. So there's not a it's not like you have an order, right? We can label them one, two, but it's not a, a back and forth. And I'm going to skip the last one, even though it has to do with the Italians again in Acts 10. Um, it says this, for they, they, they knew they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So then Paul says, surely nobody can stand in the way of them being baptized in water. Um, and then Acts 19 uh, when he placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues. Uh, but they, it was after they were baptized in water. And so that is where we see the, the significance in this in that in, in Peter and Paul's ministry, when you received Christ, the next two steps were water baptism and spirit baptism. And for some of you, this may be a whole new world uh, and you may be going, what in the world is he talking about? Scripture. I'm talking about the word of God. Number three today, kind of our, our final thing as we, as we get ready to bring it to an end today is this. Speaking in tongues is not the baptism, but the consistent sign that something different has happened. And we could go through all of these and we'll go quickly, but Acts 2, 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. Uh, the word tongues, you need to understand this. The word tongues is a Greek word that means language. 
And this is like, uh, if you look at the early church, you look at Acts 2 and you see the Galileans in this moment, uh, they would be considered kind of the um, backwoods hillbillies of the area, so the uneducated, right? And so basically when they hear them speaking in these tongues, they're going, what in the world is going on? Uh, they are not that educated to be speaking these eloquent other languages. And then this is when Peter walks out and, and says, well, here's what's happening. And then in Acts 10, 44, how did they know that the Italians had been baptized in the Holy Spirit? It was through, because they heard them speaking in other tongues. Again, in Ephesus, what was the evidence of their baptism? They began to speak in tongues and prophesy. We uh, have to see the consistency in what's happening as we, I, I use a lot of scripture because I know this, you don't build a doctrine on one scripture, Okay. And so if I was to come up here and take one scripture and start trying to build a doctrine or theological stance on something, I would be, you, you would need to run me out of here, okay? So if we're gonna teach doctrine, we're gonna use scripture and a lot of it. And so I want you to hear that. When we, when we say these things, this is to bring understanding and clarity to the scripture on what was deemed by a lot of people as, as a difficult, hard subject. Fair? And I'll say this, at the end of all of this, we may have some disagreements and that's Okay. In that, there's still grace and God can still move and operate and help us to do the work he's called us to do. Amen? I want to point out something very significant in Acts 2.14 and I'll invite the worship team. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And you may be thinking, well, what did he say? Well, then he goes into Joel chapter two. But I want you to understand something here. Peter didn't get up and address the crowd by speaking in tongues or giving some thus saith the Lord prophetic statement. Peter stood up now emboldened by the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week that Peter, the same man who couldn't stand up to a little girl by a campfire to say he followed Jesus, now stands up having been baptized in the Holy Spirit stands up and addresses the crowd. Knowing that this is a crowd near the synagogue, right? So there's probably a lot of serious Jews in the crowd, which means that riot could occur at any moment. They could then try to arrest Peter at any moment. They could try to have him killed at any moment. And he stands up in the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit and says, let me tell you what's happening. There's a shift and a change in the, in the anointing level and the power level that is found in Peter after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't get up and start speaking in tongues and, and start trying to, to give prophetic. He wasn't trying to read people's mail and be like, oh, the Lord's telling me that you've got this, this, this in your life and you need to repent, right? No, he didn't do all that. No, all he simply said was, hey, church, hey people, listen, what you're seeing is not, not people that have been drinking all morning. It's nine o'clock, they're not drunk which is pretty sad that they had to make that statement, right? I think they're drunk. It's nine o'clock. And he says, hear me, this is what's happening. What happens? People got saved. Why? Because the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to equip us to reach the lost. It's significant, it's important, it's necessary, it's needed, it's scriptural. That's why I use at the end there, we were spit firing like a whole lot of the book of Acts because we have to have, you know, we've got to have scripture for the doctrine. 
I think for too long in the Assemblies of God, there's been too much emphasis on tongues. And hear me, understand this, on tongues and not the emphasis on the empowering of the Holy Spirit, right? It, it, tongues should just be a, a sign then to those that were... So why did they need a sign? Why, did, why is it that there's this, this moment? Why is it? It's so that they, would, they couldn't, because without it, you could just be like, oh yes, I've, I've received this, I have that. And then you start prophesying and saying these things that are bogus and off the wall because you had not yet received in that, right? And so, so it's kind of like a checks and balance system that, that, that the, the apostles had in place. And they said, how did you know that they were baptized in the Spirit? He said, because we heard them speaking in tongues just like we do. And then we see that again later with the church in Ephesians uh, and in the very first moment the first sign you see and we could go through the uh, the understanding of the last time that fire is used as an illustration is that Acts and the first time tongues is used you know is, is in, in that moment where they're all together so there's that that correlation of that changeover uh, from fire to tongues right in, in that moment so moving forward so but it's 12:10 already and I'm trying to be very cautious and I'm sorry I had 18 pages of notes and so why I went faster than fast and I probably ended up leaving people with more gaps and holes and questions and that's okay you can ask me here's what I want to do I believe this that we need to give an opportunity to respond because uh, you may be in a moment or in a place where you go okay I don't know fully what that looks like I don't know fully how that that, that shapes out you know or, or turns into or whatever but I want whatever the Lord has for me but I want whatever is next, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in me. Because here's what's happened. So the baptism then, if, if, if the end feeling is like the cream feeling on the inside where you go, oh, that's the good stuff. The baptism would then be like taking that eclair and dunking it in the chocolate, right? And it makes it look awesome. And you see it in the window and you go, I'm buying that and I'll pay for it later. Here's, what happens in a donut box with chocolate donuts? Chocolate gets on everything. It's on the box. It's on all of the other donuts, right? It, it just gets everywhere. It's kind of that same thing that whenever we begin, when we seek out the Holy Spirit and we go, okay, I want the baptism in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden it's like that Spirit is like on us and we go, it just kind of gets on everything. It's that empowering. And we just can't help but be contagious. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.